ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the broadcast. Uh, honestly, just so you're not deceived, this is not live. You're listening to a, a replay. Uh, I had a, a really uh, weird thing that happened. So we normally do the program on Sunday nights live, and we were all set to go. The cameras were rolling. Uh, everything was set here in the studio. Had a great guest lined up. And what has happened for the first time in maybe two or three years is the internet had a blip where all of a sudden there was no uh, connectivity to my internet. And so we had to uh, go off the air and uh, could not recover from that. So that was that. So this is uh, Monday morning. Uh, I am doing the show, redoing the show. I had a great show planned. And so we're just going to do that here, record it, put it up on the uh, all the podcast download locations so that uh, we don't miss an episode. And our apologies to our friend, Lise Wheel, who was to be our big guest last night. Uh, she's actually going to be with us. We rebooked her. And Lise Wheel is going to be here not only to talk about the Charles Manson book, but Lise Wheel is going to be here to talk about her book, on the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. So she'll be with us uh, twice in the in the coming week. So we're looking forward to that. This next Sunday night, our guest is Winton Churchill, not to be confused with Winston Churchill. Uh, Winton is with our friends over at International Living. International Living, as you know, is a newsletter, a training organization, which is all about giving people the information they need to be able to expatriate from the United States. Uh, you know, not not giving up your citizenship to make that clear, but people that want to in retirement in particular uh, that want to live in places that are less expensive than the U.S. So you have places like Ecuador, uh, places like Belize. Uh, even various parts of Europe, uh, even in Asia, that people will relocate and live out their retirement in these places where the dollar is worth five times more, in some cases, 10 times more. Well, in any case, Winton Churchill, who will be with us next Sunday night, he is from their organization. But what he focuses on is how people can create a portable income. So when you're living in these places where it's super cheap, there's not a lot of opportunity to earn money there. And sometimes because you're not actually, you know, a native uh, born citizen there, you're not allowed to take a job from what would go to a local person. So a lot of different ways to make money when you're living uh, in another country, uh, including, you know, uh, internet businesses and all of that. So he's going to be with us to talk about how to create a portable income. That'll be next Sunday night. Uh, our friends from International uh, international living will be with us, uh, Winton Churchill. Okay. So this weekend was an interesting weekend. And I want to start by telling you about my, my little weekend trip. 
So my wife and I, we did the the little summer vacation. We had plans of going up to the Northeast to seeing our daughter, but that couldn't be worked out because of all the rules. And because if you're coming from Florida up into the Boston area, uh, there are all these quarantine rules and it was just not feasible for us to make that trip. Uh, so we did our one week vacation, which was a couple of weeks ago, but there was one more thing I wanted to do. One more thing I wanted to see this summer. And that is there is a really, really neat place in Fort Pierce, Florida and Fort Pierce to give you an idea. It's on the East coast of Florida, about two hours North of Miami, just to give you a point of reference. Not really much in in Fort Pierce, except for the National Navy Seal Museum, which was just incredible. I I'd been wanting to visit there for some time, and what we did was we just turned this into like a little overnight uh, weekend trip. So Friday afternoon, we left a couple hour drive. We got down into uh, Fort Pierce, checked into our hotel, and then on Saturday we got up early, went over to the. Uh, Navy SEAL Museum and had a great day over there and uh, just enjoyed the beautiful beach as well that that is right over there. Now, some people would ask, why is the Navy SEAL Museum in Florida? I thought the Navy SEALs were all about uh, California and Coronado and, and the San Diego area and all of that. Well, that is the case, of course. But if you research the history back in the day, if you go all the way back to World War II, uh, the Navy SEALs actually began their training around the area of Fort Pierce. That This was the first area when they were still called, I believe, Frogmen at that time before the name changed to Navy SEALs. But man, oh man, did they have an incredible museum there in Fort Pierce. I would highly recommend it to you. Even if you're not someone that is uh, really super interested in the military, uh, I am, um, and that goes back to my grandfather's uh, involvement in the Normandy invasion and World War II and all of his stories and my chance to visit Normandy, France with him uh, about 20 years ago. I, I just, I love to learn about the history of our military and uh, Navy SEALs in particular are very fascinating to me. Just the whole process of how elite you have to be to become a Navy SEAL. Uh, I often say, you know, who knows, <laughs> maybe in another lifetime, I would be a Navy SEAL if, if I got a, another chance to live. Uh, <laughs> another, if I got reincarnated, I'd come back as a Navy SEAL. But in any case, it was uh, a really, really neat time. Um, I did have one negative thing, though, to share, and that is the hotel situation. So we stayed at a, at a residence inn, which was really highly rated. Residence inn, of course, is part of Marriott. And I booked it a few days before we left. And what was interesting was I get the welcome email uh, on Friday saying, hey, you know, we're looking forward to having you as our guest. Uh, we'll see you later today, all of that. And then I read on and it said, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm, I'm giving you a close uh, paraphrase of what it said. It said uh, that they have a strict mask policy. You must wear a mask all throughout the hotel, blah, blah, blah. And it said, we will not tolerate any disrespect to our staff while they are attempting to enforce the mask policy. And I thought to myself, huh, couldn't they have said that in a little bit of a nicer way? We will not tolerate any disrespect. I almost felt like I was back in middle school and, and our, you know, it was my, our middle school principal <laughs> was addressing us saying we will not tolerate any disrespect, but this is the problem. Travel has, 
has lost its excitement. It's it's no longer fun to travel. Uh, this whole mask thing, I get it. You know, the masks, uh, I'm wearing my mask, even though I don't think they do any good. I'm wearing the mask to comply when I'm out and about here in town. And when we were on our little vacation this summer, we, we did the mask thing because everybody's enforcing the masks. It kind of goes without saying, but I thought that was just kind of a nasty thing to say in the welcome message. The welcome message was we will not tolerate any disrespect towards our staff. Like, well, what are you going to do to me? <laughs> Kick me out. If I, uh, complain about wearing the mask, it, it was just a bizarre way to say, to say that. Uh, and then the worst part of it maybe though, was the breakfast. So then I was informed that, that for my own safety, and I always love it when it's for my safety, for my safety and protection, they were not going to serve a hot breakfast. So, so one of the neat things about residence in is they have a really great, I mean, really nice hot breakfast that you get. And a lot of residence inns also have uh, some kind of a dinner uh, snack for you as well. It's not like really a replacement for your dinner, but they have some really nice hot food bars that they set up uh, in the early evening because a lot of people actually, you know, stay there for a couple of weeks. It's it's really catering more to the business uh, community. So in any case, when I go in the hotel, the entire area where they would normally serve the hot breakfast and the, the dinner uh, snack and all that, that whole area is all roped off. Do not enter. You can't go in there. And then uh, I'm informed that instead of the hot breakfast, for my safety, <laughs> which I love, I'm going to be given a grab-and-go breakfast. And I thought, okay, you know, I get it. You know, maybe they can't do the breakfast because of covid uh, that doesn't really make sense because restaurants are actually open right now here. We're just limiting capacity to 50%. So the fact that you can't have a hot breakfast doesn't really make sense, but okay. So you're going to give me a, a nice to go breakfast. So in any case, I thought, well, maybe it'd be like a nice breakfast burrito or a breakfast sandwich or some, some kind of a nice deluxe hot breakfast in a, in a bag. Boy, was I wrong. So the grab and go, I love that. The grab and go, the grab and go breakfast, the grab and go breakfast turned out to be, I'm not kidding you, uh, a tiny bottle of water. So it wasn't even a full bottle of water. It was one of those super tiny bottles of water, maybe like for a child, it was about a third of what you would get in a normal size bottle of water. So you got a mini bottle of water, probably the smallest orange I've ever seen. Uh, I, it, it was a good size. Typically an orange is like the size of a baseball, right? Maybe a little bit larger. This orange got down to maybe the size of a golf ball. I'm not kidding you. It was just this tiny little orange. And then there was a plastic wrapped Otis, uh, Otis Spunkmeyer sweet roll. <laughs> yeah. The kind you buy for like a buck over at seven 11. And this was all put in a, in a, in a paper bag. So I, I go up to the front desk and I said, yeah. So, you know, how do I get the, uh, the, the grab and go breakfast? And so she reaches down behind the front desk and, and pulls up a, a brown paper bag and hands it to me. Uh, I got two of them because my wife is traveling with me. And so I bring them up to the room and I open them up, set them on the little table in the room and I just couldn't believe it. So I took a picture of it and I put it up on my social media as well. I know I, I'm terrible, right? I'm terrible that I had to make it, uh, an issue out of this. 
Uh, there are people in third world countries that don't have food. Um, I, I get it. But at the same time, I'm paying for a, a, a residence in. I'm paying for a Marriott branded uh, hotel. I would think I would get something nicer than that. Um, it, it was just the whole thing was weird. So then I wanted to get a cup of coffee. So I go down, you know how normally in the lobby of a hotel, you've got like a big coffee station set up. So I wanted to get a cup of coffee. So I go down there uh, and the coffee pots are the big coffee dispensers are back behind the front desk. So for my safety and protection, uh, the coffee is back behind the front desk. So I said to, to the lady, I said, uh, yeah, so can I get a cup of coffee? Do I like walk? Cause they're kind of to the side of the front desk. Do I go back there? She said, no, no, you're, you can't touch it. You cannot touch the coffee machine or the coffee cups uh, for your safety. I said, okay, great. Uh, can you get me a cup of coffee? So, so she, without gloves on or anything, she gets uh, a paper cup and, and, and uh, she puts it under the dispenser and dispenses the coffee, sets the coffee on the counter. And then she has these really long nail extensions on her, on her fingernails. And so she uses her, 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 her index finger and her thumb and these huge long nail extensions. And she picks up the lid on just the edge of it. And she, she, she like hands me the lid, uh, pinched between her two, uh, fingernail extensions. She hands me the lid. And so I've got my coffee sitting there and then she hands me the lid. And I was thinking to myself, eh, you know, how is this any, how is this any different than me getting my coffee myself? I mean, she touched it with her hands. She didn't like wash her hands before she did that. She didn't put on gloves and she's the front desk person. So she's touching credit cards and, and room keys and everything else. You know, a lot of this, honestly, I just hate to say it because I know it sounds terrible, but I think a lot of this is just for show. I think that they are, you know, they're doing these things to look good, look like they're compliant. And, and it really isn't, uh, it, it, it's not scientifically doing any good for anybody. Uh, but any case, I loved the Navy SEAL Museum. Go to the Navy SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce. And if it couldn't get any more bizarre, okay, so I come home from the trip. I get home on Saturday uh, early evening. I think it was around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I get home, and we get the mail. And so in my mail was my robocall check. Now, those of you that are regular listeners to the show are followers of mine. Know that I have been chasing this robocall check now for maybe, what, three and a half years, maybe four years. And if you don't remember, I know a lot of you also followed my advice to get your robocall check. So this was a settlement from between the cruise lines and the federal government. This was the settlement. And the deal was that we were going to get somewhere between Six hundred and nine hundred dollars for each phone line that we had that received these robocalls from the different cruise lines. And so this went on for a few years, three or four years. And so I'm waiting for my six hundred to nine hundred dollars. Now, I, I honestly didn't expect to get that, especially when um, I looked at the most updated information a few months ago and learned how many people had actually applied for the money and sort of did the math on that. Um, I wasn't expecting uh, very much and I didn't get very much. <laughs> I got my robocall check for $25, $25. So I was supposed to get two checks though, because I had two different phone lines that received the phone call. So I was entitled to apply twice. So I'm thinking maybe today there'll be another $25. But for those of you that were sitting uh, at home 
waiting for your $600 to $900. Uh, that's been pared down a little. <laughs> it looks like the lawyers got most of the money, I think. And that's the way it works with these class action lawsuits, right? The lawyers are the ones that cash in, uh, not you and I. Uh, so, uh, you know, say goodbye to your dream of the six to $900 per phone line and uh, look for your $25 check, which might have already arrived uh, over the weekend. Okay, now this story is, is really strange. Um, Millie Weaver. So Millie Weaver, you might know if you listen to Alex Jones, and she's also built her own name and reputation separately from her working with Alex Jones. Um, she's a very attractive young lady, very articulate, uh, seems like a really nice person. And she's now doing these, uh, documentaries. Um, and she did a documentary called Shadowgate, which was to be released over the weekend, this weekend and simultaneous with the planned release of this documentary Shadowgate, which is all about the deep state and John Brennan and, and, uh, psychological ops that they did to affect, uh, uh, the election and all of this stuff. It was really fascinating. I did watch most of it, but in any case, this is to be released over the weekend. And at the same time, so Friday night, uh, she's actually arrested. I believe it was Friday night or Saturday morning. Her, she's arrested. Her husband and her husband's brother are all arrested and hauled off to jail in front of her two small children. And so the internet just exploded uh, over this. I think it was Saturday morning, if I'm looking at my notes here correctly. Um, and then she's to be held in, in jail without bail until uh, Monday, today, uh, before she has to go before a judge uh, to have bail set. And over the weekend, people set up a GoFundMe, which the last I looked at had raised over $50,000 for her. And so everybody thought that this arrest was because of the documentary, that somehow she had violated maybe some laws by revealing classified information or something along those lines, and that this was why she was being arrested, because it seemed like sort of a weird coincidence. Her movie is released and she's arrested. So that's what people thought. And that's what the buzz was on the internet. Well, as time has clicked on, this is kind of updated. And it turns out that the latest news on this is that it is a domestic dispute between her and her husband and her husband's brother. Like it's a dispute between them and, and Millie Weaver's mother. There's some kind of dispute going on and it involves a cell phone that was allegedly stolen and other things. And it appears that it has nothing really to do at all with the Shadowgate uh, documentary being released. That's at least what we're, you know, understanding at this moment in time as I record this show on Monday morning, August the 17th. So uh, we will follow that and see what happens. Uh, but the Millie Weaver story, you know, the other side of it too is people are saying, well, you know, maybe the actual charges had nothing to do with the movie, but maybe the powers that be decided to time the arrest uh, to be the same day that her movie was released. Uh, I don't know. That, that sounds kind of weird to me too, but... We will see what happens with the whole Millie Weaver Shadowgate uh, story. A lot of there's a lot about it on Twitter. If you're interested, okay. 
Uh, Chicago uh, over the weekend hit again heavy by riots and looters. 17 police officers injured. And uh, it doesn't look like there's any end in sight to this. Of course, if you follow the news, there was millions and millions and millions of dollars of damage uh, and theft that occurred when uh, dozens of the Magnificent Mile's most high-end stores uh, were looted. Uh, I mean, these are if you've never been to Michigan Avenue uh, down in the Loop uh, downtown area of Chicago, it is, I mean, we're talking about uh, jewelry stores with Rolex watches, uh, <laughs> diamonds and gold, and clothing stores where you would pay thousands of dollars for like one single outfit. I mean, these are, this is like the Rodeo drive of Chicago and it's absolutely been destroyed. And I thought for fun, what I would do is go on this app that I have called hotel tonight, just to see how cheap the hotels might be on uh, Michigan Avenue, because there's some really nice deluxe hotels where you could spend 300, 400, $500 for one night, one night to stay there. So these $350 on up hotels, I'm not kidding. You could get for under a hundred bucks right now. <laughs> That's how bad it is. And I, I laugh about this, but you know, this is really tragic because you wonder what are these mayors thinking? The mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Portland, the mayor of Seattle. Um, wh what, are, what do they think they're gaining by keeping the police largely uh, at bay, you know, not letting the police really take all the measures they could uh, to deal with this and, and to watch their cities literally be destroyed. I, I'm not really sure what the logic is in this. I mean, maybe there's some idea that liberals do think this way. Maybe there's some idea that, look, if we let these people kind of have their day of, of, of looting and pillaging that they'll be happy and go away. Well, that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened uh, in Portland. It hasn't happened in Seattle and it's just spreading and it's just getting worse. Uh, so, you know, you would think if you're a liberal and you want to be nice to people, uh, you want to be nice to these horrible, terrible people that are not peacefully demonstrating, but they are rioting and looting and they are criminals. If you wanted to be the nice person, you would address this early on uh, before they show up with guns and bombs which is where things are escalating to. And then it actually becomes like an all out war. I mean, like literally a, uh, a front in a war and we've got to have the military involved. I mean, that's where this is, is heading to. I don't know where it ends, but when you look at this, you look at the exodus that's already taking place from these cities because of the whole work from home epiphany, uh, everybody, you know, has now decided that, hey, our people can work from home. So we don't need this big expanse, expensive space in downtown Chicago or downtown, uh, you know, Manhattan. We don't need to have these these high rise buildings anymore. We could just let people work from home and save our money. So that has already happened. And people are already migrating from the big city. They're migrating because of coronavirus. They're migrating because of crime and all these things and the riots and all of that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, I don't know if there's any turning back, you know, if these big cities, they, many of them already really do look post-apocalyptic, you know, that is, they look like something out of a movie already. 
And uh, I saw some pictures this morning I was looking at uh, of what it looks like now on Venice Beach in California, which if you've never been there is really one of the coolest places in the country to go. Uh, At one time, it was the place to go. You could go to the Gold's Gym there and you could see in the 1970s a man by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, working out, uh, practicing and and, uh, uh, lifting weights and training for uh, the uh, uh, various, um, you know, Mr. Uh, Universe uh, uh, competitions and, and world weightlifting and, and bodybuilding competitions that, that he competed in. Um, now it is a homeless camp. The pictures I saw today were just heartbreaking. The entire boardwalk, the entire boardwalk of Venice Beach is covered with tents and people living there in tents. And of course, what goes along with that is they don't have anywhere to go to the bathroom. A lot of times, uh, use your imagination of what it probably smells like and uh, the crime that's going on there. This is what is happening. And even the rich and the famous uh, actors and actresses that make Hollywood home, they are leaving. I saw a big article in Zillow talking about uh, the dramatic exodus out of San Francisco and the beginning, really, of the collapse of San Francisco real estate. So this is a thing. I mean, it is it is really happening. And then in my area, I live here. I live in a really neat area. Uh, and I have to tell you that it's, it's a very unique area. If you're looking for somewhere to move to, look at Flagler Beach, Palm Coast area. It's, it's Flagler County, Florida. It's still fairly inexpensive to buy a home here. What I'm talking about is you could get a brand new house built, a nice 2,500 square foot house built for about maybe two seventy five, three hundred thousand dollars. You're five minutes from the beach. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and uh, there's not really much crime here to speak of. Uh, cost of of most everything is is pretty low. Go out to dinner; it doesn't cost too much. Uh, it's a nice. A small town, but you're not far from things. If you want to go to Disney World, that's an hour and a half away. If you want to go to a big city like like Jacksonville, that's 45 minutes away. Uh, but we have something super unique that really doesn't exist very many places anymore, which is if you go over the bridge to the uh, to the island where uh, you can you know go on the beach and all that. If you go over the bridge to Flagler Beach, you can actually drive along A1A and see the beach for the entire length of of the city there are no hotels or homes or anything built up on that side of of a1a on the east side of the road which is extremely unique i mean other than malibu california i don't really know of anywhere where you can drive along the beach like this and what's cool about that is there are all these little restaurants that you can sit and eat at and sit there and watch the ocean uh, from across, you know, the A1A, uh, and it's it's beautiful. It's it's an absolutely beautiful place to live. But in any case, I I do a morning walk. Usually, I'm out there five six in the morning. I walk for about three or four miles most mornings. And in my little neighborhood here, my little uh, development, I think altogether we can have maybe about four hundred total homes here. And it, at, right now, I'm telling you, there's at any given time ten to twelve houses under construction and I'm not seeing a lot of for sale signs. So a lot of people are moving here and not a lot of people are leaving. 
And uh, my my little house, 2,200 square foot house, a little, I guess, depending on how you would describe things. My house, I bought for $110,000 back in 2010. And I think it's going for about 260, 270 right now. So we've done really well uh, getting in here. We got in at uh, 2010 for 110,000, and it's now you know more than doubled. And and it's it looks like there's no end to where the prices are going. But a lot of people running from the big cities. That of course uh, is a thing. Chris Wallace of Fox News, who in you know recent months, let's be honest, he's kind of been uh, drifting a little bit towards the liberal side of things. Chris. Wallace uh, came out and said uh, that uh, he's calling out Joe Biden for employing the so-called basement strategy. (laughs) He said, quote, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. You know, that is Joe Biden hiding out about three months before the election here. And he's not doing these long form interviews with all the big shows. He's just avoiding all that. And, you know, I'm hearing rumors that there's not going to be any debates, but then I heard there are three debates scheduled. They're working out the details. This would be horrible uh, if somehow Joe Biden was able to avoid doing any serious interviews or even debating and then uh, to be able to, you know, be on the ticket and, and run for president and avoid any scrutiny like that. That would be absolutely horrible. Uh, but I guess, you know, the the Democrats look at this like, hey, the polls are are in our favor. I don't know if I believe those polls at all, honestly, but they think they're they're winning. Uh, so we're just going to hold the ball and run out the clock. I think that's what their their mindset is at this point. OK, tragedy. The president's brother, Robert Trump, died over the weekend at the age of 71. And it, it really gave the liberals an opportunity uh, as PJ Media put it uh, in in their piece this morning, to show themselves as classless pieces of garbage, because what they did was uh, over the weekend, instead of saying nothing or offering condolences to the president on the loss of his brother Robert, uh, they started on Twitter a a trending hashtag, and the the hashtag is is hashtag wrong Trump, and and so there were literally thousands upon thousands of people posting, um, recognizing Robert Trump's death by using the hashtag wrong Trump. The implication being that it should have been Donald Trump that died. That That is what classless pieces of garbage the liberals are. And I think PJ Media hit the nail on the head uh, with their description. And uh, back to California here a little bit, uh, you know, not only are they facing uh, uh, really just an incredible exodus, people leaving uh, the state, not only northern, but as uh, well, southern California. But uh, the National Weather Service, for the first time ever, uh, issued a fire tornado warning. Now, I did some reading about this, and this is actually pretty interesting. So you can have conditions where if there's enough wind and a big enough fire going, that actually the fire, the heat from the fire creates like its own tornado, a tornado of fire. Can you imagine that? That sounds terrible. Uh, But the National Weather Service issued its first ever fire tornado warning in Southern California. And uh, California is, uh, Southern California is dealing with some massive wildfires right now. And the entire state is also dealing with 
rolling blackouts, apparently not related to the fires, but simply related to the heat and the uh, state's uh, power grids uh, inability to keep up with the demand for power because people are obviously, you know, cranking up their air conditioning to deal with this uh, record heat that they're they're having out there. Uh, another reason <laughs> to pay a million dollars for a house, right? A little tiny house. Uh, you could, uh, I read this a year ago, a two bedroom, little tiny house, uh, in the, in the outskirts of San Francisco built in the 1950s, a little house like that going for over a million dollars. I mean, who wants to, who wants to live in a place like this? I mean, can you imagine like a $10,000 a month mortgage to live somewhere like this? It is just nuts. And then Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, uh, looks like it's poised, really, honestly, for a, a new one-year high as it's uh, been flirting with 12000 And a lot of reasons why Bitcoin seems to be percolating. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people worried about the value of various currencies, uh, including the dollar, which has been dropping in value. But if you take a look at, for example, Turkey, the Turkish lira is absolutely collapsing. And this is happening in smaller countries around the world, but also our own dollar is losing value, largely because we're borrowing so much money uh, to deal with this coronavirus thing and all these stimulus packages and all of this. The more money we borrow, I don't even know what we're up to, 25, 26 trillion now uh, in the national debt. Um, so the value of currencies are collapsing. So what people are doing is they're buying gold and in a lot of cases they're buying Bitcoin. And one way to get your money out of a place like Turkey or if you're, you know, in any other smaller country that's uh, having economic uh, problems where the currency is collapsing is to shift it over into Bitcoin, which can quickly be done. And a lot of people are doing this. And if you read my book, The 90 Minute Bitcoin Quick Start, you'll notice that I start the book out by explaining really Bitcoin's first real boost, which got it from uh, under a hundred bucks, uh, up to like three hundred, four hundred dollars, was when the small country of Cyprus, which is a small island off of the country of Greece, uh, Cyprus decided to do something called a bail-in, which is they were just going to basically take uh, people that had, I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars or more in the bank. They were just going to take part of your money, just like a one-time we're taking your money to help pay our debts. <laughs> Isn't that nice? And which, by the way, California is planning a similar one-time tax of of higher net worth people. It'll be 0.4, so a little bit less than a half a percent. We're just going to do a one-time take-your-money deal. Well, that's what Cyprus had planned to do. And so a lot of people just said, hey, I'm taking my money out of the bank, putting it in Bitcoin. And that was when Bitcoin had its first major run-up. Before that, it was still under 100 bucks, and, and in that run, it got up to, I think, uh, five six hundred dollars uh, altogether. Uh, but this is what's happening worldwide. People are are expatriating out of their currencies, uh, their native uh, home currencies into Bitcoin as a way to escape what's happening uh, in their you know local economies. Uh, so it's interesting to to see what's happening. A lot of things are happening. Uh, I'm excited about, you know, I still have uh, a good chunk uh, in cryptocurrency and in Bitcoin in particular. So excited to see that. OK, so as we close it out, I want to remind you that we have opened back up again our Internet business training. Um, there seemed to be some misunderstanding because I got some emails from people saying, hey, I I, I thought that the uh, Internet business training was closed and you weren't accepting new students. 
Nope, it is open. We are accepting new students. And if you want to find out more about it, I'm offering three lessons for free so you can check it out and see if you might be interested. Uh, many of you know from 2008 to 2015, I taught a very popular online class on how to make money online. And it was really the same as this class largely, which is all the things I do to make money online. I teach you in the class. It's personally taught by me. You get unlimited Q and a, you get access to all of the videos, all of the trainings. And every week there's a brand new one hour video posted. So check it out. Um, it helps us to support uh, the broadcast, the cost of the broadcast and our organization, ChristianMoney.com. And it's a win-win because you're learning how to develop passive income through virtual assets. Check it out over at VarsTraining.com. That's V-A-R-S Training.com. VarsTraining.com. Tonight's sponsor. And uh, of course, there's a link to that over at ChristianMoney.com. If you didn't get the uh, direct link uh, to the online training. All right. Uh, it was a little different week this week. Uh, <laughs> show crashed, but uh, we did the uh, the redo here on Monday morning. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.